All right, well, how's everybody doing this morning? Wherever you're joining us from, we just wanna welcome you. Welcome to Rock City. We're so glad that you're here. If you're joining us at one of our locations or from correctional facilities around the state of Ohio, come on, let's put our hands together, church, for all those joining us. My name's Corey. I'm one of the pastors here and, uh, and just uh, honored to be here with you, honored to be part of this staff and uh, glad to be opening up the word of God with you today. And I hope that you're uh, ready to hear a great story from God's word this morning. So uh, we've been in this message series called Greatest Hits. And I don't know what you think about when you think about greatest hits, but I think about uh, the greatest song of all time. And I think if we asked every single person in here what the greatest song of all time is, we would probably get a lot of different answers to that question depending on when you grew up or what kind of music you like or what kind of style you're into. I, I did some research this week and found out that uh, there, there's some different ideas about what the greatest song of all time is. In fact, I was thinking about this. Some of you are old enough to remember this, but when I was a kid, if you wanted to know the greatest song at any given time, you had to wait until Sunday afternoon and listen to a radio show by a guy named Casey Kasem <laughs> called America's Top 40 Countdown, and you'd find out the top 40 songs at any given time on that week. And if you were really good, you had a boom box. Some of you don't even know what that is, but you would have a boom box and you'd have a cassette tape ready, and when your song was coming on, you'd hit those two buttons and start recording, and you'd have the worst recording of your favorite song you ever heard. <laughs> and then you'd wear that one out. Rolling Stone said the greatest song of all time is Respect by Aretha Franklin. Come on, anybody agree, disagree? Billboard said it's Hey Jude by the Beatles. We asked you, you'd probably say something different. I was thinking about greatest hits in reference to this message series, and honestly, the Bible, all the stories in the Bible are greatest hits. So I'm gonna tell you one of my favorite stories today. We were talking about this message series a couple of months ago, and uh, we were talking about very familiar stories, and then I came up with this one that I'm gonna to introduce to you in just a minute here from the book of 2 Kings. But uh, I know that because I'm only here a few times throughout the year, you get snippets of my life. There were, if you were here back earlier this year, I talked about some of my travel problems that I had at the end of last year. And uh, people like blamed me for their travel problems after that for a really long time. Uh, people were like, hey, I couldn't get my rental car. That somehow had to be your fault. I'm like, I, I don't think so. But uh, I just want you to know my travel troubles have gone away, by the way. I've, uh, our family finally made our trip down to on vacation that we were supposed to take after Christmas. We had to coordinate my son from Montana my son, my daughter from Texas, and Angela and I from here, and we all made it down there, made it back a few weeks ago, so we finally got that trip in. If you were here last summer when I spoke, I talked about going on a trip where I bought a brand new Rand McNally Atlas, and I was gonna go GPS-less on this trip, and so I did that, by the way, I did it, I made it back, I'm here, so it worked. I'll say this, if you ever thought about going on a trip and not using a GPS, don't, because, um, <laughs> It was a lot of work. I had to spend like 30 minutes every night planning out the next day's route and it just wasn't a lot of fun. And 
and so we did it. We made it up to Montana. My son was there last summer. And one of the things that he wanted to do with us was he wanted to take us to this lake near where he's working up there. And he wanted to take us cliff diving. This is a picture of him on the cliff. If you can see him up there on that top cliff. And so right after this, he did some kind of like backflip off of it into the water. Then he said, now it's your turn. So he begins to tell us how this water's 40 feet deep. And so you notice there's like the cliff that he's on and there's one below it. I went on the one below it. And it was still like seven feet off or eight feet off the water. And I'll be honest with you. I'm being honest. I stood on the edge of that cliff for no less than five minutes trying to decide if I was brave enough to jump in, even though it was only seven or eight feet. And I was thinking about things like I've been swimming in a swimming pool where you can either touch the bottom or reach the side really easily. But it's been a really long time since I've been in like open water kind of thing. Like things were going through my head like, can I still, am I gonna be able to swim when I jump in this cold water? Things like that. Believe it or not, the story that we're gonna talk about today is a little bit like this, where somebody had to make a decision where they're gonna go into the water or not. And I wanna talk to you about this story. I wanna read this story to you from 2 Kings chapter five, and then we'll unpack it a little bit and get into it just a little bit. Again, this is one of my favorite stories from the Bible. I I hope after you hear it, it might be one of your favorite stories in the Bible as well. It's about a man named Naaman, from 2 Kings chapter five. Here's what it says in verse one. It says, now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master. Because by him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. I wanna stop right there and just say two quick things. Calling him a mighty man of valor actually puts him into the same category as King David because the Bible refers to King David as a mighty man of valor at some point as well. It says he's a leper, so he has all of these great things going for him, but he also has this this disease called leprosy, which at the time was an incurable disease. We're gonna skip down to verse nine. It says, then Naaman went with his horses and chariot and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored to you and you will be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God, and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Obana, and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel. Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. You might be thinking today that because your issue that you might have come in here with, and how many of you know we all come in with our own issues, but you might be thinking if 
My issue is not about having a disease. It's not about sickness. I don't have any leprosy or other types of skin issues. And so maybe this message today isn't gonna have anything to do with me. And I just wanna start out by saying this. This story is a lot less about healing and much more about surrender. This is a story about healing, but it's less about healing and more about surrendering because we find this man named Naaman and Naaman is a powerful man. He kind of has it all together. When he finds out that he has leprosy, leprosy is a skin disease, basically a flesh-eating disease. It would be very common at this time if somebody had leprosy for them to lose some of their extremities. It would be very common for them to lose a nose or an ear as that disease begins to eat away at the flesh, sort of from the, from the inside out. And, and so Naaman is a man who has power. He has authority. Naaman is a, a person who kind of has it all together until he does it. Until life kind of hits him, blindsides him, comes at him, something unexpected happens in his life. And he, uh, the scripture says that he is a mighty man of valor, but he is a leper. He, he has it all together, but he's a leper. He, he, he has his authority and he has people respect him, but he's a leper and he finds himself in this very unfamiliar place. For some of us, I think that the issues that we face don't come in the form of a disease. Sometimes they come in the form of just difficult circumstances. Sometimes it does come in the form of a diagnosis that we weren't expecting. Sometimes it comes in relationship issues. Sometimes it comes in financial issues. Sometimes it comes in just simply difficult life challenges. The fact is we all come to the end of ourselves at some point. We all get to the limit of what we can do for ourselves at some point. I wonder if anyone might be feeling like you're at the end of your own strength today. And I wanna just say this for all of us, it's less about our problem getting fixed and much more about our heart posture toward God. Years ago, my wife and I were involved in planning a church in New Orleans. And I don't know if you've ever started anything from scratch, but starting something from scratch is not easy. It's, it's hard. That's why I look around and I see the great things that God's doing here. And I just wanna say this, honestly, even when things go really, really well, it's still really hard to start something from nothing. And we found ourselves uh, as we were approaching kind of our, our launch day, you know, you've got to do, you've got to coordinate so many things and there's, there's so many things to work on. You've got to build teams and raise money and, and get a venue and get the equipment and, and, and there's so many things. And then at the same time, you're, you're trying to pastor people and you're trying to minister to the people who God's bringing in to your, to your new church that you're building with, with, with all these people and I remember we were probably just a few months away from launching, sitting down at dinner one night, and I remember looking across the table and saying to her, 
saying to my wife, I said, I just don't think we can do this. She was feeling the same pressure and the same stress that I was feeling. And in that moment, it was like I heard God say this to me quietly in my heart. As soon as I said, I don't think we can do this, I heard God say, finally. Finally, you've realized that you can't do it, but I can. And if you'll step out of the way long enough, I'll help you. I'll, I'll take care of this. All the things that you're stressed about, if you'll just step out of the way, step aside for long enough, I'll do these things for you. You don't have to be able to do it because I can do it if you'll let me. And I don't know really what you're facing today, but I believe that there are people who, who are maybe facing something and you're coming to the end of your own ability to fix it. That very same meal while we're sitting there, a few minutes later, my phone rings and it's a lady that I've never met before. And she said, you don't know me? Got your number from my mom who used to go to a church where you were the middle school pastor like 10 years ago. She heard you were planning a church in New Orleans. My family and I, we live in New Orleans and, and she had so many good things to say. And so I just want you to know, tell us where to come, like we're, we're in. And it was like in, a, in the very same conversation where I realized I couldn't do it, God said, if you'll just step aside, I'll take care of this for you. I'll help you do what you can't do for yourself if you'll just let me help you. Again, I don't know what you're facing today. Maybe you're at the end of yourself. Naaman had nothing. He had no cure available. He had no answers. He had no solutions. He had no ability to help himself. He didn't know what to do. He had literally nothing to work with. But I've got good news for you. The same God who created this world from nothing is at work in your situation right now. He's at work in your life today. He's at work in your situation right now at this very moment. So, so if you don't know what to do, you might just be exactly where God wants you to be. So Naaman had a few choices to make. He had a few questions to answer. So just like Naaman, we also have choices to make. We also have questions that need to be answered. So let's dig into our story just a little bit and, and see what these kind of questions are that Naaman had to face, these choices that he had to make. And so here's, the, here's kind of the first question. Of course, first question that Naaman had to answer, the first question that we have to answer is, will I follow God's leading even when it doesn't match my plan? Will I follow God's leading even when it doesn't match my plan. Listen, when, when Naaman comes to the end of himself, he reaches for the only thing that he has. And so we kind of skipped over a part of this story where Naaman has a young lady who's working in his house and this lady's from Israel and she says to Naaman, 
she says, if you would have only been in Israel, then you could have gone and talked to this man named Elisha, this prophet in Israel, and Elisha would heal you. And so Naaman does the only thing he has available to him, the only thing, the only, the only hope that he has, the only glimmer of hope is that he can go and talk to this prophet in Israel named Elisha. And I think it's really, really amazing that Naaman, as he hears about this, he doesn't know Elisha, he doesn't know the God of Elisha, but he formulates this plan in his mind about how this is gonna go down. We read in verse 11 of our story, he, he said, I said to myself, so this is him talking to himself before he goes to Elisha. He, sa- he says to himself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over this place and heal the leprosy. So Naaman comes up with this plan of how this is gonna go down. He is sure that as he goes up and talks to Elisha, who is the man of God, that, the, that Elisha's gonna come out and wave his hand and heal him of leprosy instantaneously. He's already got this figured out. We have to ask ourselves if we're gonna follow God's leading even when it doesn't match our plan. Because what, what, what Naaman has in his mind is going to happen is not what happens. It's amazing that Naaman, without any options, without anything to really go on, he formulates this answer to a problem that he doesn't have any ability to fix. I think that we do the same thing. Sometimes even for problems that we create, we approach God and let God know how he's gonna fix this problem. Sometimes I think that God just wants to say, hey, uh, let me just remind you, you, you actually caused this problem. You, you actually brought this one on. Maybe just trust me. Maybe just follow my leading. I love what Proverbs 16, 9 says. It says, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Sometimes I think we tend to get fixed on the end result and we miss the main thing. This is in your notes. It says, God wants me to be something much more than he wants me to have something. Listen to me today. God wants you to be something much more than he wants you to have something. Because what Naaman wanted was healing. But God wanted a surrendered heart because a surrendered heart would do more than just preserve his body, it would save his soul. And what God wants in your life is more than just whatever it is that you're hoping for. He actually wants a surrendered heart from you because a surrendered heart will do more for you than whatever it is you're reaching after can do for you. In the process, Naaman gets angry and almost misses both getting his body healed and his heart. He had an idea of how it was gonna go down. Elisha didn't even come out to talk to him. He sent somebody to tell him 
what he needed to do, which was to go and dip himself in the Jordan River seven times. So not only did he not follow his plan as he thought it was gonna go, but he also gave him some instructions that he didn't wanna hear. So Naaman didn't like the who, he didn't like the what, he didn't like the how, and he didn't like the where. And in verse 12, it says, so he turned and went away in a rage. And he had to choose to obey God in this moment. He had a choice to make. People ask this question of, of us all the time. How do I know where God is leading me? How do I know what God is leading me to? How do I hear the voice of God? And I just want you to know something, that this isn't spooky, it's not magical, and there are no shortcuts. I want you to know this is my Bible. I've had this Bible for decades, and there are no shortcuts to knowing the will and hearing the voice of God. The way that you know the will of God is you have to know the word of God because the word of God is the will of God. There are no shortcuts to that. There's no, there are no shortcuts to uh, nobody, nobody can pray over you familiarity with the word of God. This happens through consistency, through discipline. This happens through, con, through just uh, daily making the decision that I'm gonna connect myself and attach myself to the word of God. If you wanna know how God thinks, how God moves, how God acts, you must attach yourself to his word on a regular basis. There is no other way. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 15, in verse five, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me, you can do nothing. Listen, when I know what God's saying, and his leading doesn't match my plan, will I obey him anyway? That's the first question. Here's the second one. Will I trust God's process even when I don't understand? Will I trust God's process even when I don't understand? In verse 14, it says, so he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan Isaiah chapter 55, verses eight and nine says this. God said, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Let me just say that God's way, God's thinking, God's process is better than mine. God's thinking, God's way, God's process, it's better than yours. Now, here's Naaman. He has a choice to make. Is he gonna follow this process? Is he gonna go down? And so at some point, he finds himself down at the Jordan River. He finds himself down at the Jordan River, and I believe at some point, he's probably standing on the banks of the river, 
And now he's down there, but he has to decide if he's gonna go in, kind of like I was on that cliff. It's like you have to stand there, and now you're there. You said you were gonna do it, and like, are you actually gonna follow through with what God said to do? And Naaman finds himself on the edge of this river, and he has to decide whether he's gonna go in. Maybe he stood there for a minute. The Jordan River, the reason why part of his reluctance he mentions a couple of other rivers that are much cleaner than the Jordan River. The Jordan River is quite dirty, quite muddy. Part of it is he just doesn't want to get in because it's, a, it's dirty water. And at some point he gets into the Jordan and maybe, just maybe this first time before he goes down and goes under the water this first time, he might be a little bit reluctant to do it but he goes down and he comes up out of the water. And I think just taking that very first step, maybe some of the pride that kept him or he had some reluctance for going in might begin to, sort of, begin to sort of melt away as he goes down that first time and he comes up. I think it's interesting that as he goes under the water and he comes up that first time, guess what? He still has leprosy. And he kind of has to decide, is he going to keep going with the process? And so he goes down a second time and he comes up. And maybe at this point, some of that anger that he came away from Elisha's house with begins to fade a little bit too. And he still has leprosy, but he has to decide if he's going to go down a third time. And he goes down a third time and he comes up and he still has Leprosy, but maybe at that point, some of the worry and some of the care and concern that he has begins to fade away. And then he goes down a fourth time and he comes up and some of the shame that comes from having leprosy or in our case, maybe just having an issue, having a problem because we think we have to have it all together all the time. And some of that shame begins to fade off of his life. Listen, this next part, it's not explicitly said in the scripture, and I don't know if this is true. When we get to heaven, we can ask Naaman about this, but I think this is true. I can't prove it. You can't prove it's wrong, and I've got the microphone, so I'm gonna say it anyway. So I just think that maybe after like four times going down, that maybe what was reluctant in the beginning now starts to become something else. And now he finds himself in this process and he comes up the fourth time and he still has leprosy. But at this point, he's like, man, what do I have to lose? And he goes down a fifth time and he comes up and maybe, just maybe there's some peace that starts to come in his life. And maybe following God's process as he goes down a sixth time and he comes up, maybe now some joy starts to come that wasn't there before as he follows God's process. And I just want to make sure we understand that he dips himself in the water once, twice, three times, four times, five times, six times. And when he comes out that sixth time, he could have quit, but he still had leprosy. His problem was still there. But remember, this story is a lot less about healing from leprosy and a lot more about will you surrender to God. And so he goes down a sixth time and he comes up out of the water. And scripture says that when he comes up out of the water, that his skin is like that of a little child. 
And the greatest thing that he received that day was not healing from leprosy. The greatest thing he received that day was that his heart was now surrendered to whatever God said. Luke chapter nine, verse 23, Jesus said it this way. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Isn't it interesting? This will come as no surprise to anybody, but he has to dip himself in the water seven times. And again, this is no surprise. There are seven days in a week. Isn't it interesting that how God sets this up is that he actually has to surrender himself to this process every single day. We have to surrender ourselves to God's process every single day. No matter what you're reaching for, the result that you want is hidden on the other side of your consistently surrendering to Jesus. Whatever you're reaching for is on the other side of consistently surrendering to Jesus. Here's the third question that Naaman has to answer that we have to answer as well is this. Will I surrender to God completely regardless of the end result? Again, I believe that somewhere in that process, Naaman determines that whether I see healing from leprosy at the end of this process or not, I'm just gonna do what God said. And I think for us today, we have to sort of make that same choice. We have to make that same determination because today you might be looking for answers to a problem. But will I surrender to God completely regardless of the end result? Maybe at the end of this, I don't get what I want, but God ultimately gets what he wants, which is my heart surrendered to him. Is that enough? Is God enough? Or am I looking for something else to go along with it? I noticed that Naaman didn't do the process four times, five times, six times. He surrendered to the entire thing that Elisha instructed him to do. I was thinking about what if there were an example in the Bible of somebody who didn't do this. I found this in the New Testament in Luke chapter 18. It's a story about a man that the Bible calls a rich young ruler. And it says this in verse 18. It says, now a certain ruler asked him saying, asked Jesus, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things have I kept from my youth. I find it very interesting that Jesus doesn't argue that point. Jesus doesn't tell him, actually, remember that time in the third grade? No, he doesn't say anything like that. He actually just keeps on going. So Jesus said, when Jesus heard these things, verse 22, he said to him, you still lack one thing, sell all you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful for he was very rich. Again, this might seem like a story about money and about being rich, 
And of course it is, but it's more about him surrendering. See, his issue wasn't that he had money. His issue was that his heart wasn't fully surrendered to Jesus. His, his issue was that he wasn't willing to lay down the thing that he was holding onto. And I just wonder today, what is the thing that we're holding onto in lieu of surrendering everything we have to Jesus? Again, I believe that somewhere in the dipping seven times, Naaman determines in his heart to do what God says to do regardless of the end result. Because having that surrendered heart means more than what you can get at the end. Serving Jesus is not just a ticket to heaven. So what does God actually want from us today? I started with a story about standing on the edge of a cliff. I was thinking about something else that happened a few years ago. This is probably about 15 years ago. It was, it was me, my brother, my brother-in-law, my nephew, and my dad. It was Thanksgiving morning. We were in Louisiana, and we decided we were going to go fishing on Thanksgiving morning. None of us were particularly good fishermen, by the way, but we determined that we were going to fish Thanksgiving morning. It was cold, it was raining, but we were still, we still decided to go. And it was a horrible fishing trip. We didn't catch any fish. It rained the whole time. Everybody was wet. We almost sunk the boat. And we decided after a few hours, let's just go back to the, to the dock and to the boat launch and get the boat back on the trailer and, and go home. So somehow in this process, again, did I mention it's cold and it's raining? Somehow in this process, my very able-bodied brother, brother-in-law, nephew, they go back to the truck. My dad's standing out there on the dock holding the rope that's attached to the boat. And as my brother-in-law backs the trailer into the water, I'm standing on the trailer. And the, and the way that we're gonna do this is my dad's gonna throw me the rope. I'm gonna pull the boat up onto the trailer and then winch it up onto the trailer the rest of the way. Again, my brother, brother-in-law, nephew are warming up in the truck, okay? So my dad goes to throw me the rope and it misses me by like 10 feet. So I'm standing on this trailer. My dad's on the dock on the side and he's looking at me and I'm looking at him and then we're both looking at this 21-foot Boston whaler just drifting out into the water. These three guys are in the truck and I'm thinking to myself, either he's gotta get in or I gotta get in, somebody's going swimming. I can't let it be him, so in I go. Dive head first into the water, swim out after this Boston whaler, get the rope, and if you ever wondered, is it hard to swim pulling a Boston whaler, the answer's yes, 100% yes. definitely difficult. At the end of this all now, as I swim back with the boat, now those three guys are standing out by the trailer and they're cracking up. And as we, as we, uh, as we approach now, everybody's wet from the rain, from the fishing trip, but I am completely soaked from head to toe, needless to say. 
I'm drenched. I'm completely consumed. And as I thought about that story, I just thought about the fact that this is how we must approach God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, a very short verse, but it says, for our God is a consuming fire. He consumes whatever he touches. He cannot be served in half measures. He requires every part of us. Listen, we cannot serve God by just dipping our toe in the water and seeing how it feels. That's not how God is meant to be served. The only way to serve God is to go in wholeheartedly surrendering to all that God has, no matter what it means, no matter who it separates you from or who it puts you with, that you would serve God with everything you have. The Bible talks about how God would rather you be hot or cold, but not in the middle not dipping your toe in to see how the water feels, but if you're gonna serve God, you can't serve him standing on the dock. You can't serve him sitting in the truck. You can only serve him by going in with all that you have. Because what he touches, he consumes. So wherever you're joining us from, here in this room, all of our locations, correctional facilities online, would you bow your head with me? What does God want from us today? Everything. Your whole heart surrendered to him. So if you're here and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I wanna pray for you. Maybe you feel that tug of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you today. Maybe you realize that you're at the end of yourself. You've reached your limitation. You've reached what you can do. And God is tugging on your heart today. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus and you wanna do it today. I wanna pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, you know our hearts. You know where we are and you know the people that are right now calling out to you. God, would you meet them right where they are right in the midst of their circumstance. God, their issue probably isn't leprosy. Uh, their issue is probably something to do with life, relationships, finance, stress, strain, jobs. But God, you want us to be something more than you want us to have an answer to those things. God, would you meet them right where they are? Would they make the decision today to surrender their hearts wholly to you. That their life would never be the same after today. God, some of us are here and we've surrendered our hearts to you, but we're finding ourselves coming up against a situation. God, whatever we're holding back from you, kind of like that rich young ruler, Whatever the one thing we still lack, God, would you help us pinpoint that today? Would you help us today, God, to recognize it and not to lean on our own strength, not to lean on our own understanding, but Father, to lean in wholly to you, that we would be surrendered to you in all that we do, in all that we pursue, God, that our hearts would be surrendered from you. What do you want from us today? fully surrendered heart. 
Would you help us to do that today? In Jesus' name.